Word, and we're going to continue in our series on sex, lies, and consequences. And this has been a real, I can't wait for this one to go on the radio. This is going to be a real blessing on the radio, but you know, the more I study it, the more I realize how voluminously the New Testament uh, and the Bible as a whole speaks to this issue. So let's look at uh, really what has become our, our key verse, because how many of you want to be in the will of God? All right, so he starts out, this is the will of God, okay? Let's read it. This is the will of God, that you should be consecrated, separated, and set apart for pure and holy living, that you should abstain and shrink from all sexual vice. Now, that each one of you should, say it with me, know how. See, it's one thing for God to tell you to do it. It's another thing to know how to do it. Uh, know how to what? Possess, control, and manage his own body in consecration, purity, separated from things profane, and honor. And not to be used, talking about your body now, not to be used in the passion of lust like the heathen who do not know God and have no knowledge of his will. Very important. All right. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight, for speaking to us. We pray that, Lord, the word will be planted in our souls. And, Lord, we just receive this as not the word of men, but as the word of God. And it's the word of God to every one of us who have been born again. We pray your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. And let's, uh, let's just get right into this. We are in 1 Thessalonians uh, 4. Um, yeah, I didn't give that at the beginning, did it? 1 Thessalonians 4 is those verses, if you want to look it up. Now, the key phrase is, who do not know God. That's the key phrase. He's, he's saying there is a difference between those who know God and those who do not when it comes to your sexuality and how you handle your sexuality. Now, I've told you every time that the reason I'm teaching on this is because it's in the Bible, number one. Number two, our church, every church, all churches, Christians, are being bombarded with the teaching of the world. And it's everywhere. I mean, it is everywhere. And uh, what the world is teaching about sexuality, we're going to see in a minute, is totally opposite of what God teaches. Totally opposite. And... Remember that Paul told us there in 1 Thessalonians 4 in a couple more verses, he said, now, if you reject these words, you're not rejecting the words of men, but you're rejecting God. Now, that's strong. That's putting the cards on the table. So the key phrase is those who do not know God. If you were to ask Paul, if he could stand here and you were to say, what can I do so that I'm protected from Satan's power to deceive me into sexual sin? What can I do? One of his answers would be, Get to know God. Get to know God. See, it doesn't do you any good to put something out of your life if you don't replace it with something else. You've got to, it, you've got to replace the ways of the world with the ways of God. You can't just say, well, I'm not going to do the ways of the world anymore and stop there. You've got to put one thing away so you can receive another thing into your life. You've got to say goodbye to one thing so you can say hello to something else. And so God's answer, one of his answers to walking in obedience to what the scriptures te uh, teach about sexual purity is to 
get to know God. Fill the vacuum with getting to know God. Be in hot pursuit of God. Now, all this talk about sexual purity and walking in God's will hinges on one crucial thing. Say it with me. Who's your daddy? And they say, well, what in the world do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. I want to be real clear about this. If you have not been born again, none of these teachings really matter. The Bible passages on purity are not written to you if you haven't been born again. It's not written to you if you haven't been born again. Because these are kingdom truths for kingdom people. Okay? Now listen to the words of Jesus as he speaks to the religious leaders of his day on this whole issue of being born again. Now before I turn to it, let me be clear. I don't mean get religion. I don't mean become a member of a church. I don't mean getting water baptized if you don't know what you're doing. A lot of you were water baptized as a child. You didn't have a clue what you were doing. You probably need to do it again in knowledge. So I'm talking, when Jesus said you must be born again, he meant you have got to come to the foot of the cross and receive what the blood did for you, and you have got to experience the Holy Spirit coming into your heart and changing you. He's talking about a fundamental spiritual change, a shift. Behold, uh, if any man be in Christ, he is a brand new creation. The old has passed away. All has become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. So listen to what Jesus said to Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders of his day. Jesus told him, if God were your... No, I'm sorry, this is to the Pharisees, and then he's going to talk to Nicodemus. He says to these Pharisees, he says, if God were your father, you would love me. Because they, they prided themselves on knowing God. Now look how Jesus nails them. If God were your father, you would love me. But because I have come to you from God, I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? Here's why, Pharisees, you're always stumbling over what I'm saying. Here's why. It's because you can't even hear me. How come? For you are the children of your father, the devil. You are the children of your father, the devil. Well, that's not out to win friends and influence people, is it? But he said, he said your problem is your daddy is the devil. That's why I named this, Who's Your Daddy? Because everybody, listen church, everybody has a spiritual daddy. Everybody's got a spiritual daddy. Everybody. And you only got two choices. Your spiritual father is either the devil, according to Christ Jesus the Lord, or your spiritual daddy is God the Father. When the Spirit of God comes into you, what does he move on you to say? Abba, Father. He said, can you imagine their faces? Just picture their, their faces. He said, you're of your father the devil. You think you're spiritual? You think you're God's representatives? You don't even know him. He said, and you love to do the evil things he does. Well, that was a revelation for these cats. What Jesus meant was that they still possessed an unredeemed, fallen nature. As long as that's the case, your spiritual father 
is technically the devil. That's why this statement that floats around, you know, with violin music and harp music and all this, that we're all God's children. No, we're not. We're all created by God, but we're not all God's children. If you're going to be a child of God, you must be born again. Born once, you're the devils. Born twice, you're gods. Born once, you're going to hell. Born twice, you're going to heaven. Born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're found. There is a fundamental difference. Jesus said you must. You have to. There's no option. If you're going to see the kingdom of God, if you're going to go to heaven, you're going to have to be born again. As long as the devil is your father and you've been born in sin, shaped in iniquity, you carry only Adam's nature and you're serving the cause of Satan. If you think that's not right, listen to what Paul said in Ephesians. Talking to all of us. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Obeying who? The devil. I'm pulling that. That's the word of God. Obeying the devil. The commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Ephesians 3, 3, verse 3, he goes on. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. And that's Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. Now listen to that now. That's the take on mankind. Until you're born again, your father is the devil. And you have been born in sin, shaped in iniquity. Doesn't matter if you never get a, pa- a traffic ticket, never cuss. Uh, hey, let me tell you something. You can be as good as a man can be, but you're still connected to the devil because you haven't been born twice. You've got to be born again. That's the way you get into heaven. And without it, you will not go to heaven. And those that are out there right now that have not been born again, what does the Bible say? The wrath of God is sitting on them. The wrath of God is abiding on them because they are living contrary to God. That's what the Bible says about people. So we're not all God's children. This is why Jesus emphasized, I tell you the truth, he said, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He went on to explain all this by saying, listen carefully, this is good stuff. He says, quote, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. See, if you're only born once, you are born after the flesh, you are flesh. But if you're born twice, you're born after the spirit, you are spirit. Born once, you're dead in trespasses and sins. Born twice, you've been made alive in Christ Jesus. And man, we need to be preaching this all over the country. I wish every preacher in the nation would stand in his pulpit and let that go this Sunday. I'm so tired of religiosity and mediocre Christianity light. We need to be telling people, if you don't get born again, you are lost. So, good stuff there. That's out of John 3 if you want to look it up. Now, having been born again, we've received a new nature with a desire to do what, everybody? Please God in all areas of life. That's one of the earmarks of somebody that's really been born again. They want to please God. 
When you get born again, what comes with it is a divine want to. A divine want to please God. A divine desire to please God. Listen to what John said in 1 John 5, verse 3. He said, this is love for God. You want to know what loving God is, he says? It is to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. It's not a a drag or a bummer or a, 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 a... um, hassle when God gives you a word, a command. It's not burdensome. Burdensome means not tedious, not heavy. That is, God's commands are welcomed. They're sweet. They're excellent. And you know what? When you're born again and you hear the commands of God, this new nature in you says, Amen. Now, this does not mean they're always easy. How many of you had to forgive somebody lately? What Was it easy? Was God's command easy? I didn't say it was easy. But there is a desire in you, is there not, to obey God. And see, that doesn't come when, when you've only been born once. That comes with a new nature when you've been born twice. A desire to feel the smile of God on your life. And if you don't think the smile of God is on your life and you're born again, that's the burden. There is a desire in the true child of God to do the commands of God, to please God. And he amens them. Actually, what is burdensome to the true child of God, if you're really born again, what's burdensome to you is if you think you've displeased the Lord. That's the burden. Amen? The lost person, he, he could care less. He doesn't care. Now, let's bring all this down to our sexuality. Is sexual purity easy? Not always, no. Is it hugely rewarding? Yes. But in order to be victorious, we're going to have to learn something. Since if God is your daddy, here's what we've got to learn to do. Commit our bodies to God, yielding everything to him as his offspring. Now, the following verse is what you're going to do. If you've been born twice, this is what God has called you to do. This is his will. He says in Romans 12:1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give what everybody say it with me. Give your bodies to God. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be, your bodies, a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. And what does it say now? When you give your body to God, this is truly the way we worship him. It's an act of worship. Coming into church and lifting your hands is only one of many ways you can worship God. When you put money in that offering plate, you're worshiping God. When you obey the commands of God, you're worshiping God. And when you give God your body and your life, you're worshiping God. He said it's your reasonable service. It's what you ought to do in light of what God's done for you. Now let me show you the way the world is thinking in light of this. There's a book out there. It's a popular book. I hate to tell you what the title is. Don't go buy it, but here it is. It's called Our Bodies, Ourselves. Uh... And it's self-described. What it says about itself is a book by and for women about health and sexuality. And it, among other things, naturally, of course, approves of abortion and lesbianism. Now, I want to take the philosophy that is in that title because there is a title wrapped up in, in just the statement about the book. There is a philosophy. The premise of the book, the philosophy behind it, Uh, is that women are free to do with their bodies as they wish. Your body is yours, 
and it's not anybody else's. Now, I want to tell you, that is the killing, deadly, lying philosophy that is ruining so much in our culture today. And I'm going to show you that if you're born twice, born again, that is not true. This philosophy is what opens the door to abortion. It's your body, lady, do what you want. But actually, when you abort that child, that's not your body, that's the baby's body. Infanticide, the, de- the killing of children, that's coming into our culture. Euthanasia, killing of older folks who are infirmed, that is, that is weaving its way into our culture tonight. And so on. These, these All of those uh, lifestyles, those beliefs are wrapped in the concept of your body is your own. It is not anybody else's. And therefore you have a right to do whatever you want with your body. That's not what the Holy Spirit in the Word of God teaches us. The Bible contradicts this philosophy for both men and women in Christ. The Bible teaches that we do not have the right to do whatever we desire with our bodies. I'm going to say that again. We do not have the right to do whatever we want with our bodies. Why? Because we belong to God, both body and spirit. We are not our own. We are God's. What a liberating thought. What a liberating thought. Now, nowhere is this stated more clearly than in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, where Christians are told this. Listen to these words carefully. This is so powerful. It's life-changing. Don't you realize, Paul says, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you, purchased you with a high price. You talk about valuable currency. You talk about the dollar, the yen, all the different currencies of the world. None of them can hold a candle to the currency that purchased your body. The currency that purchased your body was the blood. So you must, in light of the fact that you have been bought with a price and you are owned by God, you must honor God with your body, the Bible says. God lives in you by the Holy Spirit. Let's just take that one truth. That is so beautiful. I don't know how people make it in our day without the Holy Spirit. I really don't. I don't know how they do it. No wonder they're drinking, snorting, smoking, shooting, doing whatever you can to to check out of reality. But thank God when the Holy Spirit's living in you, you can have peace, you can have strength, you can have courage, you can have boldness and wisdom, direction and guidance, comfort. But God lives in you by the Holy Spirit. Can you say with me, God lives in me? I'm His home. Now listen to Paul talking to the Corinthians who lived in a very immoral society. He goes on, 1 Corinthians 6. He says, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. It's it's spiritual mystery. Why? Because somehow two become one. Spiritually. All right, he goes on. As it is written in Scripture, the two become one. There is a dynamic to sex that the lost, the godless, 
The uninformed, the ignorant don't understand. There is a spiritual component to sex. And that spiritual component is, it's the only time when one plus one equals one. Two become one. Not just body to body, but there is a spiritual connection. Now he goes on, listen to what he says, quote, Since we want to become spiritually one with the Master Jesus, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy. And he's talking about marriage. He said you shouldn't be pursuing sex outside of marriage. Leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. Why can't it ever become one? Because you're not married. And so he says that's what you ought to be avoiding. That's abuse of sex. It's abuse. It's not the context for sex. Paul goes on to say, There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God, given and God-modeled love. These bodies were made for God-given and God-modeled love. They are supposed to be reflecting God's character for becoming one with one another. Our bodies were made to become one in marriage. And Paul says, didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place? The place of the Holy Spirit. Now, right off the bat, he's adding a dimension to sex that you're not going to get out there. He's adding a dimension to sex that uh, is uh, heavy stuff. You know, I read a story, and, and I, it blew my mind, but it didn't surprise me. There is a, a, a girl, I think she was 22, 23 years old, going to college somewhere, wants to go on and get a master's degree. She has put her virginity on the Internet for sale. The bid is up to $3.7 million. And her statement was this, and this shows what I'm talking about here. The lack of understanding, the ignorance of what your body is to God. She said, so what? I want to get my master's degree. And you know what she's going to get it in? Counseling and psychology. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's about right. Now, here she is. My virginity is for sale. My body for sale. What is she saying with that? She's saying, my sexuality means nothing to me. It is not sacred. It is, it is an it, a thing. It is, I, am, I do not see it as anything sacred or special whatsoever. It is more important to me to get a master's degree. And if that's the way i got to get it, big deal. I predict she's going to start a trend. Now, I feel for, what a, what a tragedy. What a tragedy. Wait till she has kids and the kids say, Mom... Say she has a little girl. Hey, Mom, when, how'd you lose your virginity? Well, you know, I had it for sale on the Internet. And the highest bidder took it. What she doesn't understand is she is defiling a sacred place. The place of the Holy Spirit. So 
There you have a good snapshot of the ignorance that is galloping out there in our culture. And, and what's really tragic is she's not being arrested for prostitution. They can't touch her. And lots of people are saying, hey, way to go. That's great. Get your master's degree. Our culture is in a free fall. We are, we're not sliding anymore. We're in a free fall. We have jumped off the cliff. And that's why I'm teaching you the word of God. Because the majority is often wrong. And the majority in our culture is wrong on so many different levels. And this is one of them. So consider yourselves blessed that you're being illuminated by the Word of God and receive it with meekness because it's able to save your soul. The fact of the Spirit's indwelling should affect how we use our bodies. That's the bottom line. The fact that the Spirit lives in us should affect how we use our bodies. If that girl got saved tonight, she would be mortified at what she's done. Now, Paul also said that the Holy Spirit is given to us from God, from God. The Holy Spirit is promised to those who believe, repent, and are baptized. Peter replied to the people there at the day of Pentecost. He said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And when you do that, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to those who repent and turn from their sins and turn to Christ for forgiveness. The, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you from that moment forward. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is also an earnest down payment of our ultimate redemption. Listen to what God says. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised and He has purchased us to be His own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify Him. You know what it means when you've got the Holy Spirit in you? You are signed, sealed, and delivered. You're headed to heaven, friend. You, you're signed, sealed, the stamp is on you. You're going. Signed, sealed, and delivered. The blessing of the Spirit's indwelling, the blessing of the fact that He lives in us should Im impact how we use our bodies. Are you all there? All right. Then Paul tells us why we are not our own. Here's why. Our bodies were bought. They were bought at a price big price heavy price we've been bought by what the blood of jesus christ it purchased us you're purchased you're bought you have been brought out of slavery he has purchased you set you free you were headed to hell you were bound in your sins you were in gross spiritual darkness there was no hope for you you would never have awakened never have opened your eyes if the Holy Spirit had not come to you and convicted your heart and shown you that you were lost, He raised you from the spiritual dead. You were dead, a corpse on a slab, dead. And He convicted you, breathed life into you, stood you on your feet, gave you a new nature. He purchased you by His blood. He said to the devil, My blood has purchased that one. And when you got saved and repented and were redeemed, the devil lost every right he had to you. He had to let go. You're no longer his. He's got no more right to your life at all. We've been bought. Listen to what Peter said. So guard yourselves. I'm sorry, but this is Paul. He said, no, this is Peter. He said, guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church 
purchased with his own blood. So the church of Jesus Christ is purchased by the blood. We're purchased. Amen. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Can you say with me, I'm signed, sealed, and delivered. As far as God's concerned, you're already there. Your body just needs to catch up with the fact. Hence, we also look for the redemption of our bodies at the resurrection. Since we've been purchased and the Holy Spirit is living inside of us and we're signed, sealed, and delivered, there is, I don't know about you, but, but from time to time, I feel a longing. I feel a longing to get there. I mean, I love living. I love being here. I love what I do. But it's, sometimes it gets a hold of me. There's this longing. The, the day is going to come when the fight's going to be over. The day is going to come when there's no more headaches, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more heartbreak, no more depression, no more anything that this world puts upon you because our bodies have been signed, sealed, and delivered and are going to be resurrected. And when they're resurrected, it's all going to be over. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. No more cancer. No more heart disease, no more body pains, no more muscle aches, hallelujah, no more fading eyes, no more thicker glasses. I mean, it's all going to be over. <laughs> About to preach here tonight, I'm supposed to teach, but this, this has got to stir you. Listen to what Paul said, he said, we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his, his adopted children, including the what, everyone? New bodies he has promised us. He's going to give you a body that curves couldn't give you if you went every day for 10 years. He's going to give you a glorified body. The same body Jesus had when he was resurrected. He ate food, but he walked through doors that were shut. He thought and was there. Glorified bodies. And that's why on this earth, they're sacred. They're not just dirt. They're sacred. They're not ours to do what we want with. They're his so our bodies are to glorify God. Can you say that with me? My body is to glorify God. It's interesting to me, in one verse, the apostle says, so glorify God in your body and in your spirit. So not only do you come into church and you worship God and you glorify Him by the spirit you reflect, but he said, I want you also to glorify God in your bodies. The only way to do that is to realize that now our bodies are members of Christ. He said in 1 Corinthians 6, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ now? You're his hands, you're his feet, you're his mouth, you are his eyes. And because of that, they are now to be instruments of righteousness. Listen to Paul in Romans 6. He says, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your what, everyone? Body. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. Give yourselves completely to God. That means your tongue, what you say, your brain, what you think. You give God all of you completely to God. For you were dead 
but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. And how do we glorify God? Let's close with this. How do you glorify God? By how you live. Living sacrificial, holy lives that are acceptable to God. That's how you glorify God in your body. How you live. Demonstrating that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. You know, some people, I don't want them telling anybody that they're a Christian. Because they're negative, they're defeated, they're, they're, they're always talking about how terrible things are. Hey, keep it to yourself. I want people walking out. You know, I, the greatest testimony I get, I got one today, a woman who joined the church Sunday. She told me today, she said she went home after visiting two Sundays. She visited two Sundays ago, joined last Sunday. I called her today. And she said, my son said to me, Mama, I had not seen you smile like this on a Sunday in years. And she said, she said, it's because I got blessed at church as if that's unusual. That's the way it ought to always be. I like getting you blessed and then sending you out to restaurants. <laughs> Go out there and smile. Hand out cards. Tell them why you're smiling. Because you are supposed to demonstrate to the world that God's will in Jesus is good and acceptable and perfect. Mwah! That's God's will. It's a good thing. All right? You are God's greatest billboard. Your face is. And we glorify God by how we die. You ever thought about that? You glorify God by how you die. Magnifying God in how we die with faith and hope. Knowing that to die is gain. To die is gain for the Christian. You know, uh, I've been pastoring 25 years. And I have done a lot of funerals done a lot of funerals and I've been at a lot of sick beds where somebody was dying and I just can't even tell you the difference between somebody dying that doesn't know God and somebody dying who knows Jesus I can't tell you the difference and I can't tell you the difference in the funerals when the person didn't know Christ and the family didn't either it's, it's one of the most it's one of the most difficult things I can do as a preacher to do that funeral because there's no hope. There's no sense of eternity. There's no, it's just tragic and weeping and this is it forever and, and oh no, and you, you see this fear and this, and this torment over death and there's nothing you can say to console them because they don't have faith in God. But you go to a Christian funeral and thank God that's most of what I've done and there's rejoicing. There is sorrow but they know that we've only said goodbye for a season that one day there's going to be a family reunion. That's why you better forgive down here because you're going to see them up there. <laughs> For some of you, that's just a horrible thought. <laughs> you say, I hope they're on, at least on a different street. Well, I think God might take care. I don't know. But, but you better forgive now. And some of you are going to be real surprised who you see up there. And some people are going to be real surprised to see you. And they're going to say, God really is good all the time. But here's the deal. We are to glorify God in how we die. You know, when Dale Moody, the great evangelist of the 1800s, um, former shoe salesman turned evangelist, reached all of England and all of America over and over again with mass crusades. When he died, 
when he was on his deathbed, he said to his wife in the room, he said, oh, look, I see, and he named his grandchildren who had died young. I see, and he named their names. He said, I see them. He said, oh, look, there they are. And he named them. And he died with a smile on his face. He said, one day you're going to read that D.L. Moody died, he told one of his crowds. He said, when you read that, don't you believe it. I didn't die. I just changed locations. That's it. And so we glorify God, not just by how we live, but by how we die. And so we are his billboards out there. We're to glorify him in our spirits and in our bodies. When there's a smile on your face and the glory of God is emanating from you, and I believe that. I can tell when somebody has the spirit of God on them. Uh, That's glorifying God with your body. So let's stand together, can we? Now here's the conclusion. The world would have us view our bodies as owned by ourselves. And no one has a right to tell us how to use it. The world would have us view our bodies as an instrument of pleasure to be used as we please. The world would have us... uh, View our bodies as something to be discarded at death, needed no more. God would have us view our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit, as belonging to God, purchased at a price, as an instrument through which we are to glorify Him, as that which will be redeemed when raised and given immortality. Indeed, our bodies are gifts from God of which we must be wise stewards, Are we using our bodies in ways that glorify Him? I want to encourage you. Go home and read Romans 12, 1 and 2. And do what it says. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Present your bodies. And when you make that divine presentation to God, consider that it's no longer your own. So when the hour of temptation comes... You can say this. You can say, you know what? You're knocking on the wrong door because I, I, it's not mine to use wrongly. You know what I'm going to tackle next time? The gay dilemma. And I'm going to do it in love, but I'm going to do it in real scriptural clarity because this is another arena where the church is being bombarded and we're going to answer it with the word of God can you read this last verse at the top with me therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's father we thank you for your word tonight we thank you that our bodies have been purchased by Jesus they aren't ours and so Lord when the devil comes knocking we can say you know what I'm dead to sin and alive to God My body is not mine to do with uh, as I please. It's his. And I've presented it to him. And Lord, we just thank you for helping us while the culture caves in because of their departure from the scriptures. That Lord, you can preserve your own 
And we thank you for the preservation of the Holy Spirit over every life here. Can you lift your hands to the Lord with me right now? And just say, Lord, thank you for purchasing me with the precious blood. I am yours and not mine. I release myself and my all to you. Help me to glorify you in my body. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing one song, Joe. Sing this.